Welcome to the Northbound Wealth Podcast. All opinions expressed by me, my co-hosts, or my guests are solely our own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Northbound Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended as personalized recommendations or fiduciary advice. It is not intended to provide and should not be relied upon for any investment, accounting, legal, and tax advice or as a solicitation to offer or buy any securities. Clients of Northbound Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Northbound Wealth Podcast Weekly Market Insights. You can listen on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or anywhere you listen. You can actually go to the website under www.northboundwealth.com and check out our uh, podcast and our blog uh, there on our website. And uh, subscribe, like, and uh, tune in every week as we update you on the equity markets and the fixed income markets, as well as technology innovation and technical analysis. Get some insight into your investment strategies and get them right or where they need to be. And if not, you can always reach out to Northbound Wealth Management uh, at 317-399-1107. Without further ado, uh, let's get started on uh, this week's episode 44. This is June 5th. And we are almost halfway through the year. This is, uh, it's been quite a year. Um, here we go. Stock surged higher in the closing days of the holiday shortened trading week, ignited by a political resolution on raising the debt ceiling in a strong employment report. That's the headline. So the Dow Jones Industrial Average rose 2.02%. While the S&P 500 advanced 1.83%, the NASDAQ composite index gained 2.04% for the week. The MSCI EFA index, which tracks developed overseas stock markets, slipped 0.52%. So what does that mean for the Dow? The Dow closed at 33,762. That's up 1.86% for the year. The NASDAQ closed at 13,240. That's up 26.51% for the year. That is uh, fascinating uh, given what last year uh, was like. The MSCI EFA index closed at 2,070. Uh, that's up uh, 6.49% for the year. The S&P 500 closed at 4,282, approaching that 4,300 level. Uh, that's up 11.53% year to date. The 10-year Treasury note closed at 3.69% uh, for the week last week. That was down about 11 basis points. And then year to date, it's uh, down about 19 basis points. So it's kind of flat on the year for the 10-year note. Um, let's see the, the three month T bill, by the way, I just want to highlight is, uh, you can buy a three month T bill, six month, nine month, and one year all above 5%. So from 5.4, uh, to 5.2%, uh, sigh of relief. So the weight of uncertainty over negotiations to raise the federal debt ceiling was lifted last week by the news of an agreement between President Biden and House Speaker McCarthy and its subsequent passage in Congress. After a modest gain on Thursday following the House vote, stocks rallied on Friday responding to the Senate passage of the debt ceiling bill, which eliminated a significant overhang to the market. A robust federal employment report also contributed to the Friday rally. The report exceeded market expectations in the growth of new jobs while reflecting a deceleration in wage growth, which is bullish, obviously, for the markets. Um, the irrepressible labor market. So last week's employment data showed that the labor market remains stout after a year of sharp interest rate hikes. 
Job openings in April increased to more than 10 million, reversing three straight months of declines, while private sector employment increased by 278,000 jobs in May, according to a survey by the Automated Data Processing, which is ADP, uh, a significant payroll processor. In line with these strong numbers, the Department of Labor reported 339,000 new jobs were added in May. That came above the consensus estimate of 190,000 and marked the 29th consecutive month of positive growth. This week, key economic data that we're following, Monday, factory orders in the ISM services index, Tuesday, jobless claims, just kind of light on some things there on the economy. This week, notable companies reporting earnings, uh, Smuckers, of course, on Tuesday, Wednesday, Campbell Soup, Thursday, DocuSign, we'll be watching DocuSign. Uh, okay, so tax tip. If you owe the IRS money, here's where how you pay them. Um, obviously, you want to know how to do that. If you owe federal taxes, you may be required to pay by the April deadline. Remember, if you get an extension to file your taxes, payment is still due by the April deadline. You can still set up a payment plan if you can't pay the full amount you owe now. Here are some choices for making your IRS payment or your tax payment. Uh, one, use direct pay. Uh, the IRS uh, direct pay is a free and secure way to pay directly from your checking and savings account. Pay by debit or credit card. If you don't want to link a bank account, you can use your credit or debit card. Remember that you'll still have to pay a processing fee and you may incur like an interest charge for that. Uh, number three, pay when you e-file. So if you file your federal tax return electronically, you can pay directly from your bank account using electronic funds withdrawal. So uh, this information is not intended as a substitute for specific individualized tax advice. We suggest you discuss your specific tax issues with a qualified tax professional. This tip was adapted from irs.gov. All right, on to the most interesting segment of this week, innovation and disruptive technologies series that I'm going to start off on talking about. So for the next several weeks, I'll be talking about disruptive technologies and it should be interesting because it presents um, some interesting opportunities for investors as they look to invest in our future uh, as a nation and uh, in our economy and in the market. So here we go. Hey everybody, this is Brent Foster, founder and CEO of Northbound Wealth Management. And uh, as a portfolio manager and money manager myself for the last Oh, many years. <laughs> um, I'm constantly looking for new technologies and, and following the trends as far as technological innovation and disruptors uh, in certain segments of our economy to make sure that I stay ahead of and take advantage of opportunities that present themselves um, for the future, uh, especially when you're looking at investing and in, to try to uh, gain exposure to those areas as an asset allocator within portfolios, may we may, you could technically own an individual stock to do that, or you could buy um, an exchange traded fund or an ETF or an index fund that might uh, express your view on a particular trend uh, that is going to maybe have some substantial growth over the years. Uh, and so those are the types of investments we make and, and bets we place uh, because um, we don't know the full impact of things, but we do try to get ahead of them and we try to appropriately size 
uh, uh, those investments for clients um, in their own unique strategy uh, that will line up with their goals and objectives. But here's an article uh, that I thought that uh, I'd cover and um, have some comments on and, and, and share some excerpts from is written by Vala Afshar. He's a contributing writer of ZDNet.com. And um, they write about trends in tech and innovation and business. And this one's good because he's going over ARK Invest, which is run by Kathy Wood. Uh, many of you may know who uh, ARK Investments is or ARK Invest. And they do have uh, investments that are generally uh, forward-looking, innovative, technological in many different areas. And so uh, they kind of, they're more of a growth uh, investment uh, shop. So uh, let's go over this article and I hope you guys find it helpful. I'm going to be going over uh, many more over the next several uh, episodes of the Northbound Wealth Podcast on uh, innovation trends and uh, opportunities. It's been something that's come up in conversations with clients too. So I think that you guys will find this informative, educational, and interesting. Here we go. So 14 innovation trends with exponential growth potential, ARC's big ideas of 2023. So according to ARC Invest's research, five innovation platforms are converging to create unprecedented growth trajectories. Artificial intelligence is the most important catalyst, its velocity cascading through all other technologies. And um, everybody is hearing about AI and artificial intelligence and stuff like ChatGPT. So we're going to go uh, diving in. The 2023 research from ARC suggests that the market value of disruptive innovation platforms could scale 40% at an annual rate during this business cycle from 13 trillion today to 200 trillion by 2030. That's, that's seven years of insane growth. To enlighten investors on the long-term impact of innovation, ARK Invest began publishing Big Ideas. So that's their title. Their header is Big Ideas in 2017. So they've been at this for a little while. The annual research report seeks to highlight the technological breakthroughs evolving today and creating the potential for super exponential growth tomorrow. The five innovation platforms and technology catalysts over the 14 big ideas in the 2023 report are as follows. Uh, number one, technological convergence. Number two, artificial intelligence. Number three, digital consumers. Number four, digital wallets. Number five, public blockchains. Number six, Bitcoin. Number seven, smart contract networks. Number eight, precision therapies. Number nine, molecular cancer diagnostics. Number 10, electric vehicles. Number 11, autonomous ride hailing. Number 12, autonomous logistics. Number 13, robotics and 3D printing. And number 14, orbital aerospace. And this, uh, so um, there's a technological convergence of AI, digital consumer, and digital wallets. Those are like the, the first four big ideas um, that we're going to cover today. And we might try to get through some of the other ones tomorrow or the next week or the next week or the next week. So we'll see how long this goes. But um, stay tuned for, to the Northbound Wealth Podcast for updates on this every week. So um, according uh, to ARC's research, five innovation platforms are converging uh, to create our unprecedented growth trajectories, artificial intelligence, public blockchains, energy storage, robotics, and multiomics sequencing. Artificial intelligence is the most important catalyst 
And um, here we go. So, so the market value of disruptive innovation platforms could scale 40%. By 2030, they say the market could be uh, 200 trillion. I mean, that's just an insane number. But what they're saying is the value or market value associated with disruptive innovation could account for the majority of the total equity market capitalization. Um, so autonomous mobility uh, epitomizes the convergence among technologies. So autonomous mobility. Uh, so neural networks are the most important catalyst for technology convergence, followed by digital wallets, advanced battery systems, autonomous mobility, cryptocurrencies, intelligent devices, next generation cloud, smart contracts, reusable rockets, programmable biology, precision therapies, 3D printing, adaptive robotics. For example, AI chatbox will drive uh, robo-taxis. Deep neutral networks will enable more accurate long read DNA sequencing and robots will learn from experience thanks to advances in AI languages. So let's talk about AI or artificial intelligence. Um, so generative AI made waves this year from Dolly 2 to ChatGPT. These tools are improving the productivity of knowledge workers uh, about two times in the case of AI coding assistance. AI training cost declines continued at an annual rate of 70%. The cost to train a large language model to GPT-3 level performance collapsing from 4.6 million in 2020 to 450,000 in 2022. ARC expects cost declines to continue at a 70% rate through 2030. AI should increase the productivity of knowledge workers more than fourfold by 2030. So you hear that? Reducing costs while increasing productivity of workers by four times. At 100% adoption, AI could increase global labor productivity to about $200 trillion, dwarfing the $32 trillion in total knowledge worker salaries. That's incredible, actually. So AI is increasing the productivity of knowledge workers. Um, and that has to do with many knowledge workers are white collar, by the way, FYI. Uh, ARC highlights the key point of AI increasing productivity of knowledge workers by as much as 55% as it pertains to writing code. AI training costs are also expected to plummet at a whopping 70% per year. AI hardware and software costs should continue to decline by 70% at an annual rate. AI is, in, is creating explosive demand for training data. Generative AI algorithms depend on large-scale training data. Automation is also needed in order to utilize data and novel content that is created in real time. ARC's research notes that the cost to train the state-of-the-art GPT-3 in 2020 was 4.6 million. Based on our modeling, the cost of training AI model with 57 times more parameters and some 720 times more tokens than GPT-3 would drop from 17 billion today to 600,000 by 2030. For perspective, Wikipedia's 4.2 billion words today represent roughly 5.6 billion tokens. Training a model with 162 trillion words or 216 trillion tokens should be possible in 2030. In a world of low-cost compute, data will become the primary constraint. With sufficient training data, AI algorithms coupled with automation and real-time analytics, coding productivity could see a tenfold increase. 
cost declines should enable mass adoption of sophisticated AI chatbots. So basically what they're saying is AI could lead to a tenfold increase in coding productivity. According to ARC's research, AI should increase the productivity of knowledge workers by more than four times by 2030. And again, that 100% adoption AI spend of 41 trillion could increase labor productivity to 200 trillion, dwarfing the 32 trillion. And so um, in worker salaries and rivaling current projections of global GDP in 2030, if vendors were to capture 10% of value created by their products, AI software could generate up to 14 trillion in revenue and 90 trillion in enterprise value in 2030. The digital consumer is another space. So connected TV, roughly 85% of US households have access to at least one connected TV or CTV. Uh, but the CTV ad market is only 23% the size of the total US TV ad budgets. So uh, what they're saying is in their view, CTV or connected TV is at an inflection point and will take share from both linear TV and other digital ad budgets. Uh, the second bullet point they have here are new social platforms. Nearly 40% of Gen Z consumers prefer to search on TikTok and Instagram over Google search and maps. Social platforms with the best recommendation engine should command the majority of ad budgets with content-based social media likely outperforming follow and feed social media. Uh, the third bullet point, sports betting. Despite macro headwinds, consumer demand for sports betting remains strong. Legalization of online and mobile sports betting should continue to catalyze growth over time here. Uh, and the fifth is gaming. The convergence of video games and social media should sustain gaming revenue growth. Video games should provide end-to-end -end virtual entertainment that rivals physical experiences. So in summary, artificial intelligence should increase time spent on digital entertainment. Thanks to the productivity gains associated with generative AI, daily hours worked globally could decline 0.9%. Uh, so that's not nearly one, you know, so 1% decline on average at an annual rate during the next five years from 4.7 hours in 2022 to 4.4 hours in 2023. An accelerated decline from the 0.4% negative prior rate as of 2013. ARC believes that consumers will reallocate extra time to online instead of offline activities increasing the share of total waking hours spent online from 39% in 2022 to 53% by 2030. So that's amazing to me. So when you're, you're spending over half your time online by 2030 versus not, um, that's what they're saying their research is indicating. ARC research also forecasts that short form video and recommendation engines will displace incumbent social media. The report found that in 2022, TikTok and Facebook were roughly equal in engagement hours, which could mark the peak of traditional flow and feed social media. Despite scaling faster than other social media platforms, TikTok accounted for only $10 billion or 2% market share of an estimated $470 billion spent on search, video, social ads in 2022. Content-based social media is likely to capture advertising share more in line with its uh, engagement hours. So in summary, short form video and recommendation engines are displacing incumbent social media. So get ready for that. 
Um, a big part of the digital consumer experience will be immersive experiences, especially for gaming. Uh, Arc notes, as the gaming industry transitions to full service virtual worlds, video games and social media could merge as consumers socialize and entertain in game supported virtual spaces at the expense of physical environments. According to ARC's research, the convergence between gaming and social media should boost the growth in gaming revenue 7% at a compound annual rate the past five years to 10% during the next five years. So from 7 to 10% at a compound annual growth rate. That's, uh, that's a 3% gain there on an annualized basis. The report also forecasted a significant rise in value of digital assets. ARC forecasts that global NFT transaction volume will grow more than five-fold from 22 billion today to 120 billion by 2027. That's insane. The digital consumer experience and digital leisure is in the early innings. According to ARC's research, global consumers spent 21% of their 31 trillion leisure budget on digitally facilitated goods and services in 2022. Demand for digital goods and services likely to grow 17% at an annual rate in real terms, surpassing demand for physically facilitated goods and services in 2029. So based on the shift towards digital leisure and digital property rights, real digital revenue should grow 14% at an annual rate during the next eight years from 2 trillion in 2022 to 5 trillion in 2023. So digital leisure is in the early innings, guys, early innings. So let's talk about digital wallet. So digital wallets are disintermediating traditional banks. Having onboarded billions of consumers and millions of merchants, digital wallets could transform the economics associated with traditional payment transactions, saving them nearly $50 billion in costs. With 3.2 billion users, digital wallets have penetrated 40% of the global population. ARC research suggests that the number of digital wallet users will increase 8% at an annual rate, penetrating 65% of the global population by 2030. As consumers and merchants adopt digital wallets, the usage of traditional checking accounts, credit and debit cards and direct merchant accounts should decline, disrupting traditional payment intermediaries, cutting out middlemen. Digital wallets could facilitate closed loop transactions for more than 50% of the payment volumes, potentially adding $450 billion to the current $1 trillion in digital wallet enterprise value by 2030. So digital wallets are gaining share in online and offline transactions. In 2021, digital wallets facilitated 49% of e-commerce transactions, up from 18% in 2016. Since 2016, digital wallets have been gaining share at the expense of credit cards, bank transfers, and cash. In 2021, digital wallets facilitated 29% of offline transactions, nearly double the 16% in 2018, overtaking cash as the primary means of offline transactions during the COVID pandemic in 2020. Digital wallets continue to gain market share. So in summary, uh, digital wallets are gaining share in online and offline transactions, regardless of what we think and feel about it, uh, us traditionalists. So digital wallets are scaling faster than 
accounts at traditional financial institutions, the network effects associated with low cost consumer acquisition costs and superior user experience are powering digital wallet adoption. After the COVID-induced acceleration and subsequent churn, U.S. digital wallet adoption rebounded in 2022, surpassing previous highs. According to our estimates, U.S. digital wallet users will increase 7% at an annual rate during the next eight years from 160 million in 2022 to a more than 260 million, while the number of global digital wallet users increases 8% at an annual rate, hitting about 5.6 billion uh, or 65% of the global population by 2030. So digital wallets are scaling faster than accounts at traditional financial institutions. One of the key benefits of digital wallets is that they eliminate middlemen by enabling direct payments between consumers and merchants by enabling in-network transactions. Digital wallet providers capture more value per transaction and can share the savings with merchants and consumers. Digital wallets create closed loop ecosystems for consumers and merchants after acquiring billions of users. Digital wallets like Alipay, uh, let's see, Pay, uh, PayPay, Block, Caspi, uh, are onboarding millions of merchants to platforms that enable direct consumer merchant transactions that disintermediate traditional financial institutions. So closed-looped transactions could account for more than 50% of digital wallet payments for 2030. Commonplace for mainland China, closed-loop transactions could disintermediate third parties and generate nearly 50 billion in cost savings from digital wallet platforms, consumers and merchants outside of mainland China, potentially adding 450 billion to the 1 trillion in total enterprise value of digital wallet platforms by 2030. So digital wallets eliminate middlemen by eliminating direct payments between consumers and merchants. And we're already seeing that. So the Big Ideas 2023 report from ARC includes incredible insights from across five disruptive innovation platforms, including 14 technology and innovation categories. They could scale 40% at an annual rate during the business cycle from 13 trillion today to 200 trillion by 2030. So there you have it, a nice synopsis. Hopefully you guys glean some in interesting insights there and uh, stay tuned for the next segment. Hey everybody, this is Brent Foster with your technical analysis spotlight. The rally has been enough to push the NASDAQ to new 52-week high and a 10-month high in the S&P 500. It appears uh, that it's headed towards its August high if you're tracking the S&P 500. Uh, we'll see about that retest here uh, soon. But the bigger news is that uh, weaker parts of the the uh, market, uh, for example, small caps um, and and some cyclicals are showing signs of life. They're rallying, and um, you know I'm really excited about that. That that demonstrates there's more breadth in the market and potentially uh, a follow through with uh, uh, and follow through and up with this rally, uh, which will be pressing into testing. Um, uh, all-time highs, potentially. We just don't know. Um, we're going to be tracking that as we go forward. Uh, and don't let's let's not forget that the economists out there are saying we'll still have a recession in the second half. So very bifurcated market um, as we're moving forward. Um, the Dow Industrials they're uh, leading basically uh, right now, which is which is good news, uh, I guess. 
showing the transports uh, doing well above its 50-day uh, average after bouncing off the 200-day and outperforming some of the other stock indexes for a change. Uh, the NASDAQ has really been crushing it. As I mentioned, year-to-date's up over 26%. Um, so uh, the equal-aided in index in the S&P 500 is also climbing as well. And what that means is a lot of the other companies uh, in the S&P 500, not just the top five or six, are starting to do better as far as price action and performance. Uh, and that's just a, a recent development. And it's an encouraging sign that it that the breadth may be improving, but obviously could be derailed by um, damn near anything uh, other than um, the, the debt ceiling uh, relief that that came with the deal being done. So this past week, uh, I think that's the reason for this rally. Could be some short covering as well, pushing the market up a bit higher, um, taking some of those trades off uh, because a deal actually got done. They needed to close out their short positions. So there's a little bit of that going on. But consumer discretionary, the sector spider uh, is breaking out. That's that's a uh, uh, one of the strongest sectors outside of technology and communication services. That's uh, an economically sensitive sector. It's a it's in a bullish kind of breakout chart pattern, uh, and the XLY rallying the highest level since February. So an an upside breakout would signal the start of a new uptrend for that particular index. And let's see, energy and materials are selling off, obviously not doing well this year, but uh, they're holding support. So we'll continue to monitor the 200-day moving average um, on, uh, on uh, materials and energy. And so what we're looking for here, obviously there's support at 4,000 to 4,200 on the S&P. If, if those break, if the market ends up selling off and going down, breaking below the 4,000 level, then we'll have a gap down, most likely a retest of last year's lows. But if we continue to press up to the upside, and uh, which could potentially happen, we uh, the uh, resistance that we break through turns into support. So 42 to 4,300. We haven't broke out in a, that 4,300 level on the S&P yet. But if we do, and we close above that for a substantial period of time, then that means that that new ceiling becomes a floor of support to kind of uh, press higher than the 4,300 level. And we'll have to continue to monitor uh, the RSI's or relative strength indicators on how overbought we actually get uh, with, this, uh, with this squeeze that goes higher. And it's something that we have to remain unbiased with. So we'll take the data uh, and the and the indicators uh, as we get them on a daily basis, and we'll look at them over a weekly and a monthly and an, and an annual, you know, multi-year basis, and and uh, combine that with fundamentals and and uh, politics and geopolitics, all kinds of stuff uh, to get a view and a thesis. So. Uh, from a technical perspective, though, um, looks like the markets are doing well. Um, certain aspects of the market, uh, particularly megatech, big tech, anything associated with AI, that's definitely a momentum trade. Um, just be cautious because valuations can get crazy out of control. And uh, be prepared for a reversion to the mean. And that's an opportunity potentially to add exposure to risk-based assets at that time. So I uh, hope you guys have a great week. And I'm excited about uh, tracking what happens with the equity markets and the, even in the bond market 
uh, this week and next week and over the over the coming months. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Have a great weekend.